You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, Assalamu alaikum, peace and blessings of God Almighty be upon you all. Jazakallah, thank you so much for joining us today, and welcome to another episode of The Draft Time Show here on The Voice of Islam today with myself, Raza. Brother Daniel, Brother Kiyum, we pulled out all the strings, we pulled out you know, the whole team here back on Full Friday. House. Full house. Can you believe Just it? Just for... That Kayum, Mr. Kayum, has actually graced the studios of Voice of Islam this afternoon. Wow, what, what an occasion. Yeah, we pulled out the red carpet, which you yeah. probably can't see right now. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, welcome to another episode at the end of the week. And what a week it has been. We're going to talk about politics in the first half of the program here on The Voice of Islam. And then we're going to speak about populism. As always, the number for you to call zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. And if you want to send us a tweet, do so at Voice of Islam UK and or also on Instagram. Before we start, I, I thought this, uh, um, this afternoon I was looking at the news just last Friday. So seven days ago, just to give you an update, Thursday night, uh, Kwasi Kwarteng, um, if, I'm not sure if you still remember him. Uh, he, used to, he, used to be, <laughs> he used to be our chancellor. Hard to forget. <laughs> Hard to forget. He um, left a meeting of the International Monetary Fund uh, a bit earlier and uh, he was absolutely... 100% confident <laughs> that he would be still in post next month despite mm. there was a growing Tory rebellion. Then also on Wednesday you had uh, this um, trust saying that I am a fighter yes. not a quitter. And then you had during the and week... And then she quits. <laughs> then she quits. James uh, Cleverly, Cleverly um, the foreign tra- uh, secretary he said that um, removing Liz Trust would make the situation actually worse that we were already in. He said that I think that changing the leadership would be a disastrously bad idea, not just politically, but also economically. Well, as far as one part is concerned, he was right. The pound, believe me, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, has dropped again today. So that is just a week, seven days things that have happened in the last seven days and it was just changing every few minutes one time uh, at one point you had uh, the discussion of the whips leaving are they leaving are they not leaving well they're not leaving and then ultimately we had the announcement by the prime minister that she will not be continuing that job so boys how has your week been so far no, I, I'm speechless. I mean, since you are sitting in front of me, you know, I can't. <laughs> this is this is the highlight for us right now. It's like, oh, forget the prime minister. He was in the studio. My reaction yesterday was <laughs> that's all I could do, and then I cried because what is happening yeah. in the United Kingdom? Four chancellors in four months, three uh, home secretaries in in four months, and. This will be our fourth prime minister in three years. My my niece was, and we complain about Pakistan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> my my niece was uh, is is visiting right now, and I said to her, "Well, you, this is a historic day. You have just witnessed the resignation of the shortest of the prime minister who was in office in history. Yeah, the shortest in, in, in history in, in UK history. In yes. UK history, the last one was I think in eighteen something, and his was shortest because he died. 
That's a valid excuse. Yeah, that's a valid excuse. But there was a joke going around. There was about a four-month old. Exactly. There was a joke going around. Yeah. So for anybody who hasn't hasn't heard this joke for our listeners out there, my son has lived through four... That's not my son. That's a joke. My son has lived through four chancellors, three home secretaries, two prime ministers, and two monarchs. He's four months old. He's four months old. Wow. So, okay. yeah, that's the but that's you know, a scale of change. It's a scale of change, but as much as it's momentarily funny. Yeah. Mm. Momentarily it's you you laugh in disbelief. You think mm. you think things are bizarre, you think things are going insane, but now we've got to the point where and what I'm about to say is going to be absolutely mental because the favorite for the Conservative Party members is Boris Johnson. Mm-hmm. And they are the, members the, and uh, and the parliamentarians as well, probably. No, yeah. parliamentarians are, are with Rishi Sunak. Okay, they are with Rishi Sunak, okay. which is a sensible choice at the moment, or Penny Mordaunt. But for me, it would be Rishi Sunak. Um, and because of just the announcement that he is favourite with the, the 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 Tory Party members, uh, guilt markets have gone up, mm. and. And that shows you the, the the and pound has dropped and the pound has dropped. Mm. It just shows you how touchy the markets are mm. with the situations. And if gilts go up, mortgage interest goes up even more. Yeah. So imagine if he does come in to power, and 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 it's a there is a real possibility. Um, I hope to God mm. um, that uh, whoever comes is 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 fair and. And 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 you know comes on a able on a, to take over, able to take over in, <coughs> in, in a in a, mm. in, a in a in a proper way. Um, but whoever comes in is able to work with Jeremy Hunt, who has like it or not, irrespective of what you might feel about his politics or not, irrelevant. He has calmed the markets. Yeah. And I mean, it's not like he came out with some kind of secret formula. He just reversed the mini budget. Yeah. He reversed the mini budget, mm. and he said. Look, there's some realities of life we need to look at. Yeah, and you're not going to like it. And you're not going to like it. So he was he was honest, he was upfront and he says this is what needs to be done. So whoever comes in needs to work with our chancellor. And I know there's a whole lot of rhetoric going on about a general election. It's not going to happen. Well, okay, I say it's not going to happen if the Conservative Party don't buck up. This is their. They're they're at the last chance saloon. This is their last opportunity. If they mess mm. this up, there then there will be a general election. Yeah. yeah, and and uh, you know, I think they have two years before election. Mm. Um, at the moment, um, this morning I was astonished at looking at the Westminster pollers, who said if there was an election today, Conservatives would not win a single seat. This was a Westminster poll. Yeah. They said they would not win a single seat. I mean, talk about annihilation Mm. of one of the most successful parties in the history of this country. Mm. But they have two years to, to, to recover. Um, and uh, but I, I I really find it very difficult how they will actually recover. I, I don't think they can re- recover from 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 where they are at the moment. This is the lowest point probably in in the party's history. A day is very long in politics, man. 
Indeed, it is. So let's talk to someone who um, you know we've been sp- speaking to over the years when it comes to these very ad hoc situations when everything is going up and down in the UK politics. A uh, dear friend of the show, Councillor Vince Maple, who's the leader of the Labour and uh, Cooperative Group, uh, joining us here on the Drive Time Show. Good afternoon, peace upon you, and welcome to the Drive Time Show, Vince. How are you today? It's always a pleasure to join you on the Drive Time Show on Voice of Islam, particularly because today is local radio day, so it's great to Isn't be it? yes. on, on the airways with a brilliant uh, radio station like yours Wonderful. in these very interesting times, as you say. As always, a great pleasure to have you on, Vince. Thank you very much again for your time. Looking at the current state of the UK, um, we had, uh, what was it, three resignations in the last uh, couple of months, I would say. What consequences do you think will this resignation have? Is there anything different this time? Well, it, it's quite clear, and, and listeners will be, I'm sure, of this view as well, that actually after 12 years of conservative failure, people here in the UK you know, deserve much better than this kind of revolving door of chaos that we currently have. In the last few years, you know, the Conservatives have set record high taxation, they've trashed our institutions, <clears throat> and now, of course, they've created a cost-of-living crisis. They've crashed the economy so badly that people are facing you know, £500 a month extra on their mortgages. Mm. Uh, so the Conservatives crashed the economy, and that's why we need to see, in my view, uh, a general election now. Vince, I know um, there is this talk of the general election, but in reality, are we really expecting the Conservatives to do the right thing and look at the national interest and do and call for election? Or when they have that leeway of two years to try and build something um it's a, it's a it's a it, it's not going to happen is it well look, the the country is not their personal fiefdom to run how they wish they haven't got a mandate uh to put the country through yet another <laughs> failed experiment like we've seen over the last 45 days with Liz Truss and before that with Boris Johnson so they can't just respond by clicking their fingers and, and shuffling the people at the top of their party without, in my view, the, the consent of the British people. Agreed. However, I mean, and I'm sure you, you, you're more up to date with things than, than more than I am. They're not, it's not the national interest. It's about um, who can win them the next general election and, and you know, the, the preposterous idea of maybe the comeback of Boris Johnson and how they're supporting him. I mean, they're working on on a completely different agenda than what the people want. Well, I, I think it's around how much do we value democracy in this country. And, and there are Conservative MPs who have already come out and said uh, if Boris Johnson somehow ends up uh, as the, the, the Prime Minister. Remember, this is Boris Johnson who lied to the Queen, mm. that Boris Johnson. You know, if he becomes uh, Prime Minister and their party leader, they've said they're, they're resigning from the party. <coughs> they're going to um, become independent rather than Conservatives. That's not democracy. So, so, it's, so I think we're back to a point. We've never seen this situation where we've had uh, a third Prime Minister if, uh, in one parliament. So, so the British people do deserve a proper say on how the country's run and the future of the country. Let's say there is a general election, and let's say, and, and you know, of course, without a shadow of a doubt, 
Labour with the with the the leads they have, um, Keir Starmer would be our new, new new Prime Minister. Does Labour really want to take on the country with no money in the bank? Well, I, I think it's about having a plan to sort out the mess that the Conservatives have created. Like I say, um, but they, they need money for that. Well, but they, they grow the economy for working people, and we've we've got those plans in place already around um, the, the kind of the Green New Deal, the Green Future Plan, uh, which you know will create it does two things really. You know, the pledge around um, getting our carbon down by twenty thirty. That's of course good for the environment, but actually, and I'd say more importantly right now, that's good for the economy. That's good for skilled jobs. You know, where I represent here uh, in, in Medway, you know, we lost a load of skilled jobs back in the 1980s. It's arguable that actually those have never truly been replaced. We've got different skills and different sectors have increased. Of course, I accept that, but. You know, some of those you know, green technology jobs, that's the sort of thing we want to see happening. So it's, it's got to be about, and the public should decide whether they want to continue uh, with the, the mess and chaos and the crashing of the economy we've seen over the last uh, 12 years, and in particular the last 45 days, or whether they want a, a fresh start. Vince, if, know, I, if I can uh, ask the same question slightly differently, uh, given that Sir Keir Starmer isn't the most dynamic Labour leader Labour has produced, um, do you think he has it in him to take the country out of the situation that we find ourselves in? I, I think he does. I think he's you know he's someone who's had a real life outside of politics. So he ran a, a large organisation, got that into a professional place that it needed to be. Uh, he stood on the side of uh, those who needed support in his kind of previous legal life. And of course, Keir Starmer will be the Prime Minister in a Labour government, but he's got a fantastic team of talent, whether that's Rachel Rees as our Chancellor, Lisa Nandy, who would look after uh, local government, which of course is something I'm passionate about, uh, and the rest of the shadow cabinet, making a real difference. People like Wes Streeting, you know, who would who would take that health service we need and, and give it the, the kind of the booster that, that it needs, although it's, of course, giving out boosters at the moment on the vaccine programme. It needs an actual booster when it comes to uh, the support it desperately needs. So, absolutely, Keir Starmer uh, wouldn't do the job alone. He'd be, And, of course, there would be a load of new... MPs, and we've got amazing talented people here uh, in the Labour Party, both here in Medway, where I represent, but actually um, across the country. Vince, I, I fully agree with you. The you know the, the the shadow cabinet is awesome, fantastic, but how the the problem they will have is exactly the same problem that the current Tory government <laughs> is having. So I, my. my and, you know, I want to take it that one step further because in my head, mentally, Labour is in. Labour is in charge of this country. And, of course, everybody says they want to have growth. Now, do you think Labour will be politically honest with people? Because we all talk about we have never seen more employment in this country in its history, but nobody talks about how we have two million vacancies in this country. In 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 main industry, and in order to fill those vacancies, we need people because people get into work 
pay tax, growth happens. And realistically, Labour has kind of shunned the notion of single market completely off the table. Whereas, realistically, that's the only way this country is going to get people filling jobs. Where, where does Labour really sit? So, so, so you you raise you raise a number <laughs> a very of difficult really questions. And actually, your your economic summa, summation of growth was probably better than anything. Vince, I don't think you'll be looking did. forward to the next show uh, as much as you look forward to this one. <laughs> so, well, well, no. I always look forward to voice of Vince. Those are those are questions will be asked. We'll be out door knocking tomorrow, so people will ask questions of that nature. So let me say a couple of bits on that. First thing, it's around, um, you know, who knows exactly what the books will look like nationally when we pick up the reins uh, of power when when uh, the British people give us that mandate. But there are some, you know, I can tell you now there are some priorities that will be different. So, for example, uh, we will uh, stop the non-dom status. You know, that's that's billions of pounds that will come into the exchequer. We will change the tax status and the charity status of private schools. We will um, reverse the change. You know, the priorities of this this most recent Liz Trust government has been scrapping the, the cap on bankers' bonuses. And, and at one point, although again, they, they scrapped this pretty quickly, uh, the change to the 45p tax rate for people who are paying earning, sorry, £150,000 a year or more. And I have no problem with people <clears throat> earning a good salary. I want them to earn a good salary, but I want them to pay their fair share. Those who've got the broadest shoulders should make the suitable contribution. And that includes, of course, those oil and gas providers who are making profits they couldn't have imagined. One of the CEOs said it's literally like a cash machine. So it's about making sure everyone plays their fair part in a good society and then you've got the resources to make sure that whether it's a skills agenda to make sure that we're ready for that, uh, whether it's about ensuring that um, wages rise in line with inflation, whether that's possible. You know, those those are the practical things that we'd want to see to make sure that actually that's how you genuinely grow your way out of it, rather than crashing the economy in just a, a matter of weeks, as we saw with Quasi Quateng and Liz Truss. I agree with you, Vince. Um, I can ask you a million more questions but because, you know, it's... We, it's we really want you to come to the next show as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm always coming back to the voice of Vince Lamb. It's always a pleasure to, to come Likewise. on. You guys do a great job. So thanks very much for what you do. Thank like you. Say, on local radio days, it's important to recognise the hard work, including those behind the scenes, the producers of the shows and all the rest of it. So, so well done to the whole team there. And, Keep doing what you're doing. Wonderful. Thank you, Thank you Vince. Um, have a fantastic evening and may peace be with you. Thanks so much. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. What is your opinion on the situation at the moment? Where do you stand? Vince didn't answer my questions, did he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some He's of them anyways. Some of them were actually difficult you, questions. You work in finance. Yeah. yeah. There is a shortage in all sectors, especially finance. I mean, NHS, uh, construction, exactly. Bus drivers, lorry drivers. Where are and there's two million skilled vacancies in this country. Mm. Where are they going to come from? Mm. They, you know, Europe is the closest twenty nine miles away. (laughs) You know, from Calais, Mm. Mm. yet liberal Democrats are the only one who have kind of stood their ground and said they will. Look at single market. 
Labour have completely taken it off the table. And to me, that you see, look, it's all well and good. Because that's very unpopular politically for them. Yes, but then again, isn't it... We are in this problem since Brexit. Mm. 2016. Prime ministers have had to resign because of these things. We are not being politically honest. What has His Holiness Hazrat Mr. Muhammad, fifth caliph of the Promised Messiah, may Allah strengthen his hand, has been speaking about forever to the world leaders about be honest with the people. Be honest. It isn't about ratings and votes anymore. Mm. What's happening to the Conservative Party isn't just about votes. It's, it is, I know people who are so scared because they think they're going to lose their homes. Yeah. They think... They, they, I hear the, you, Kayum but, yeah. uh, but I have a slightly different uh, point of view. Um, mm. and, and that is that I think we need to move on now. I think we've had what that discussion. That Explain that to me. Uh, what that means is that that was a very, very divisive time for the country. It's a very divisive subject in the country. You mean Brexit? Brexit. Okay. Yes, absolutely. So if we go back to Brexit, I'm not. I'm not saying join yeah. the. Euro- I'm not saying join Europe fully. I'm saying do Switzerland, do Norway. You keep your currency, you keep your laws, your sovereignty, Listen, but you open but, single market for goods and people. Well, but but that comes with other strings attached, and and European Union didn't want that. So, so I, I think there was a, a well, some negotiation well, there. But we but, but we, we as a country yeah. um, kind of walked out of those talks. But to solve Northern Irish the Northern Irish issue, hmm. we have to we have to put single market on the table. That is this. That is a divisive. It's 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 a divisive yeah. matter. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think from from a practical point of view, there's it's 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 definitely something which which probably needs uh, needs thinking about. But I think it it is such a such a politically divisive issue. And the so where know, do we get the people from? The country has moved on, and yeah, I I, I hear you. Listen, you know there was uh, what was the the term being used uh, during Brexit? Uh, the uh, the fear. Um, uh, project Fair. Yeah. So um, under so-called Project Fair at that time, there were surveys conducted by the government of this country, mm-hmm. not by third party or anybody else, co- conducted by the government of this country saying exactly what is happening now, that there will be a recession, that there will be uh, labor shortages. Mm-hmm. Li- they, and it was called mm-hmm. what? Project, project Fair. Fair. No. So we can't just say, well, you know, OK, agreed. We reap what we sow. Un- understandable. But... The thing is, my 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 worry with what's happening with the markets and what's happening with our politics is we haven't actually really felt the hit yet because that will come hmm. in a few months' time. Of what just happened? Economics, yeah. politics. Um, look, Boris Johnson, just the talk of it has, has, has kind of um, bounced the markets. Hmm, hmm. A small bounce on a market over a tweet means a couple of hundred quid a month for someone. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you know, people don't have the affordability anymore. Let me ask you a question. Maybe I should have asked that once, but we have another political analyst on the show in just a little bit. I'll probably ask that question to him as well. You, you speak about general election. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I know when, when it comes to the rating um, of... Uh, the conservatives or what the general public thinks how much influence does the general public have zero when it comes to 
the, we're, we're the, not a republic, right? Right. No, uh, that mm. that's what I'm trying to figure out. When no. when when you say that people are not happy, this needs to be right now. The public is left out of every single thing. Yep. There's nothing yep. that the citizens of the United Kingdom can do to mm-hmm. change the situation because every game is being played at that level. Of well, no, we, we 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 vote for a, it's I, a parliamentary democracy. It's a parliamentary democracy. We we vote for sure. a party, yes. not an individual. I I understand so, that. And and it's a, and the term of parliament is five years. So in those five years, I can have five prime ministers as long as I'm as long as I am the party who's in power. Yeah. And you got to bear in mind, people forget there's a seventy-two majority. Hmm. The government has a majority. Yeah. So they can do what they want for two years. For two years. And this is my question to, to this was why I was saying to to Vince, we can talk about the general election all we want. Conservatives can carry on doing this every month. Hmm. But if they really have the national interest at heart, which most politicians don't. Look, Labour is, of course, 35 points in the lead, not because Labour are fantastic, hmm. it's because Conservatives have done this. Yeah. People have given up on Conservative and said, we're going to go to Labour hmm. because we're tired of it. So it's, you know, because before this happened, the lead was 10, 10 points, hmm. 5 points. Hmm. People were talking about, yeah, you know, it's going to be a close one. If the, and this is why Monday is going to be very important. Hmm. If the conservatives get Rishi, and again, this is a personal perspective. I think if they get Rishi Sunak in, Keir Starmer will have someone he can work with. Maybe. Well, no, he'll have a serious contender. He'll I have think. a serious yeah. contender. Yeah. yeah. Because I think we need someone. We need a finance head. Yeah. I think we need someone who's balanced. I think we need someone. Um, who's lived it and earned it and Rishi Sunak has and and if you look at the old um, speeches he did against um, um, Liz Truss Mm. he made sense he justified everything he said Mm. now you don't have to agree with his politics but his mannerism he was honest with people Mm -hmm. and also you know if you if you if uh, if mortgage is is what we're really worried about and mortgage rates and whatnot he comes from the city exactly so he has you know he understands uh, the 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 city will have confidence in him okay our next guest for today is Peter Morris. He's a retired quality control manager. We're going to ask Peter about his opinion, what is about uh, about what's happening at the moment. Peter, good afternoon. Peace upon you and welcome to the Draft Time Show. Good afternoon. Thank you very much, first of all, for your time. To start off, uh, I want to ask you about your views about the UK government prior to the announcement of the resignation of our Prime Minister. Well, in all honesty, I thought they were floundering. Um, Liz Truss was fairly obviously well out of her depth mm. and didn't know which way to go. I'm, I'm not sure what the deal with with Quasi Kwarteng was. And I, I know he, he's a good friend of hers, um, but beyond that, I knew nothing about him. Um, I think her heart was in the right place, um, but she was just a bit green. Mm. And, you know what I mean? and then after yesterday's announcement, what, what are your thoughts now? Well, I think it's a complete car crash, to be honest. <laughs> she fairly obviously wasn't up to it. Um, and then Jeremy Hunt turned up from nowhere and blatantly overruled everything that she tried to do thus far. Um, been the whole 
thing, you know, with the the tax cuts yeah, and yeah. so on. Well, but but did he ever did he have a choice, Peter? He didn't really have a choice, did he? He had to reverse it. Well, I mean, I, I think he. I actually think he accepted that job. Uh, he gave his conditions before he accepted the job, and and he didn't well, actually have I, an alternative, did he? I, I gotta say, um, I don't believe she appointed him. I, I agree. I, I agree. He, he was thrust upon her and and said, "Sort that all out." Yep. Hmm. Um, but I don't think he's been particularly good. In fact, I think he's been awful. Well, he's um, he's not done anything. He's just reversed what was introduced by Kwasi Kwarteng. Nothing is of his own doing. Um, but it's I, th- I think his his uh, time will be the next couple of months. Um, uh, you know, if he stays in in as chancellor or whoever becomes the new leader, who do you think is qualified to be the next leader? Uh, well, I, I mean, I heard you talking earlier about um, Rishi Sunak, and I've, I've got to disagree with you, because in my opinion, um, d- during the hustings, you know, the the, the race between him and hmm. Liz Truss, I, I thought he was dom- domineering, arrogant, um, to the point of bullying, Um he did, apolo- he, he, he did apologize he, for his forcefulness. He, he, he just went over the top, over the top completely, mm. in my view. Um, where, where do you think the conservatives went wrong, though? Well, initially, I, I think they went wrong getting rid of Boris. Okay, he, right. he, he'd done bits and bobs that, that were not good, you know, and people squealed because, you know, their the, the mom or dad or whatever had died in hospital and they couldn't go and see him and so forth. Um, yeah, that that was probably unforgivable. But he was getting duff advice hmm. about the COVID. I mean, he got all the scientists lined up and they all said, you know, got a lockdown, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. With Rishi and, on his side? Well, yeah. Um, so I don't, yeah. I don't think Boris had, had an awful lot to say in yeah, it. Yeah. He, he got too many bods telling him what to do and how to do it and all the rest of it, and it turned out. So that I'm, I'm, I'm guessing wrong. you wouldn't mind when he comes back then. <laughs> well, I, I really can't see yeah. the Conservatives getting anywhere near government again unless he's around. Okay. I mean, like him or loathe him, some people loathe him. I, I like certain aspects of him, but I, I wouldn't say I'm a, I'm a complete Boris fanatic. Right. <clears throat> Peter, do you think there'll it, be a general election soon? Um, I, I, I somehow doubt it myself because, um, you know, technically the, this government has got two years to mm-hmm. to try and sort the mess out if. If they call an election now, the Conservatives will definitely lose it, humiliatingly. Hmm. Um, The Labour Party wants an election tomorrow. Of course. um, Because they know they'll win it. Yeah. But, (coughs) Peter, the problem problem with Boris is that 
there's already been, I think, six, uh, and correct, I'm sure somebody will call in and correct me, I think it's either four or six um, Conservative MPs who've said that if he comes back, they will resign and they will give up their seats. There's already been a number of Conservative MPs who've said that they will um, they will move over to Labour mm. if he comes back. Um, I think wow. I think the sitting Conservative Party will not, they don't want him back. And I do agree with you that, you know, he's the people's favourite um, in, in respect of the Conservative Party people's favourite. But yeah. I don't think they will allow him back. So if you, if you, let's take Boris out of the equation, the, the real choices would be either Penny Mordaunt or Rishi Sunak. Who would you choose? Or would you, um, or, or would you just not vote Tory and, and go to well, Sir in, Keir Starmer? Uh, sorry, another thing about Rishi Sunak is how much money did he spend during the COVID thing? He is responsible for practically back bankrupting the com- the, the country. He yeah, but, but money round like confetti. Agreed. Without I, any thoughts of. I, you know, I, I agree the, with you, Peter. But Boris Johnson is Rishi Sunak's boss. Well, he, he, he the buck stops well, with Boris, not Rishi. He may well be, but look at Liz Truss and um, Jeremy Hunt. Did yes, it look but, like she was the boss? <laughs> but she was the boss, and she fired Kwasi Kwarteng, and, and she paid the price for it yeah. by, by resigning yesterday. Wonderful. Peter, thank you very much for, for joining us today. We will have to see where uh, things go with this. Uh, there's a lot of things still in development. Uh, but thank you very much for, for, for joining us today. Peter Morris, a retired no quality control manager with us on the line. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. We want to know from you, how are you seeing the situation right now? Where do you think we're headed? What is going to happen on Monday? What is the weekend actually going to bring? I've got a question for both of you. <clears throat> God forbid. Let's look at it internationally. Mm. Yeah. That uh, there is a war going on in Ukraine. Yeah. Let's say, God forbid, Putin presses the button. Where would we be? Without a, we, we we're nowhere at the moment. Yeah, I mean, internationally speaking, and this is the that side, the international side of it, is even the the, the responses. I mean, the Russian response was a bit mad, hmm. um, uh, uh, you know, very rude. Um, uh, Macron came back and said, "Look, the, he, there needs to be stability." Yeah. Um, the Dutch um, uh, prime minister says he looks forward to working with the next. Prime Minister, <laughs> with the next Prime Minister, which I thought was quite ironic. And, and you know, Russians actually said it's the worst um, PM in the history, you know, blah, blah, blah. They, yeah, they came yeah. out with quite rude comments. Um, even President Biden, you know, who normally doesn't, um, you know, say much, but uh, he, he had some comments to make. Mm. Um, the point being, we are the sixth largest economy in the world and our leadership is in a mess. God forbid if there was a war, who would be in charge of us? We're sitting here. There is a, there is a, of course, there, there is this, I call it, you know, um, this live PM, um, you know, this this uh, real, what, what do they call it? People who, who like watching all this stuff. Um, um, what stuff? Live TV, real TV and whatever. Reality TV? Reality TV. That, that's what it's become. 
a reality TV show. It's become entertainment. The seriousness of politics has disappeared. Yeah. Yet these are the people who make the decisions about our health service. If you walk into a hospital in London, you've got to wait seven hours. Yeah. You've got to wait 55 hours to get an ambulance. Um, nurses, doctors, lawyers, postal, transportation, you name the industry, striking. they're going to be striking over yeah. the next, oh, next few weeks. We are going to be a standstill country. That is what worries me. Because all of this is not just affecting us. What, how is this, how does, how, how will people be explaining this to their kids when they look at this and they think, hmm, is this, is this where we need to be growing up? And my fear, and somebody, and I was listening to this commentator a couple of weeks ago, who says what England will experience is um, more people will leave UK. Yeah. UK will have a brain drain because people will say not worth being London isn't UK isn't what UK was I don't need to be here yeah. I can get better elsewhere hmm. and that is happening we talk of immigrants coming in they also need to talk of people who are leaving hmm. there, there was always a difference less people left more people came in that's increasing and it will increase because Europe will welcome um, professionals from this country with open arms. Forget about professionals. You, if you look at the economy, you you need a stable country. Yep. And f- economic stability is one thing, <clears throat> but who makes who creates that economic stability? Politics does, right? Yes. But if effect. everything is going up and down within a, a, a time of months or weeks then what incentive does a CEO of a big corporation have to open up a branch? Let's ask this question to somebody who does this okay, for, uh, sure. or thinks I'm, about it all the time. Uh, and let's welcome Chris Blackburn, um, who's now on the line with us. Aslam alaikum, peace with you. Warm welcome to the Drive Time Show, Chris. Hi, Raza. Um, thank you for having me. Uh, not a problem. So, Chris, uh, the question is, we are where we are. Where do you think we go from here? Do you think a general election is, is imminent? Do you think Boris Johnson is coming back? Or do you think uh, conservatives will actually get their act together? Well, I think, I mean, what, what we've seen over the last sort of year to the last six months has been absolute chaos in the Conservative Party. Um, don't know which direction we want to go. Uh, we've seen... Obviously, the, there was the build-up to, to Boris leaving. So we had all this talk about how Conservatives were going to go back to being a stable, sensible, like, less ideological party. And then, so so we had the, the leadership contest between Rishi Sunak and Liz Trust, and it has basically led to even more chaos. So I think to get Boris back will be a, a big ask, because literally the country has fallen out of love with the Conservative Party. We've seen from, from recent polling that Labour, Labour, the Labour Party are actually massively in front in the polls. I mean, they've got a 30-point plus. I mean, I think it's even as high as 39 points, which is massive if you were to, to actually break it down between seats if there was a general election. It would literally mean the Conservative Party would be wiped out. Do you, so, think, do you think the... Um the Conservative Parliamentary Party is ready to elect the first non-white Prime Minister. 
Uh, yes, I do. I, re- I really do. I think because I think when what we saw during the the leadership election between Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss, the only actual people who were complaining were people from the Labour Party who were saying, "Ah, oh, the Conservatives will never elect Rishi. You'll never get through the rounds." And yet he was that's one of the, the the top guy. He was up there running neck and neck with Liz Trust. Uh, so but, I think but, the Conservatives themselves could actually bring the first sort of South Asian PM in history, and I think that would be an amazing um, thing for the country. Chris, I, I agree with Brother Daniel, but he did say parliamentary party, not the members, because the members... Uh, but yeah, the, well, the, no, I think, I mean, if you look at the members, it was the members who... Elect, who wanted Rishi to go through into the the final rounds? That was the, that was the 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 Conservative Party as a whole. Now, if they've got the the, the parliamentary group of Conservatives, of course they will. I think the, I think the the backbench MPs will support Rishi Sunak. I think they will do. But the the final vote goes to the members, and Boris Johnson's the favourite, and Liz Truss was the favourite with the members as well. So, All right. Well, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I, must, I mustn't be clear on how the process work, works because I was told that the, the the Conservative Party weren't getting involved. It was just going to be the parliamentary. No, no, like, no. That, my understanding is there's going to be an online vote. Uh, well, I don't think the, there'll be a problem then. Looking forward, because I mean, he got through. He was neck and neck and neck with Liz. All the way, th- all the way through. And, uh, so I don't think that'll be a problem with the rest of the party. Let, to be honest, let me turn, let me flip the coin here. And we, you know, we, we've talked about the conservatives. We know the conservatives are in trouble. Is oh, is, yeah. is 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 Labour ready to take on um, the, the 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 challenge? Are they ready? I mean, they haven't been in power for twelve years. That is a, that's a very good point. What I would say is, the public obviously think they're ready to go because the public uh, literally say they want a Labour Party in government. It's, however, a general election will probably not be till about, what, 2000 and 2004, 2005 at the latest. Mm-hmm. So I think it depends It depends what what happens. And as we know, since the since we've started, we, they used to say we didn't have hung, hung, hung parliaments in the UK. Mm. We saw a coalition government with the Lib Dems and the Conservatives. There's been so many things where we've said, well, this doesn't happen in the UK. It actually happened. So is Labour ready? I'm not so sure. And I'm, I think I think Keir Starmer has certainly put a professional facade around his lead, leadership team. They do look stable, but I don't think he's got the strength in depth, to be honest. But the polls are literally saying the British public want, want Labour in government. They want at least somebody stable with their hand on the tiller. Stability in reality is a coalition of liberal labor snp greens i mean if they do get together which they won't i mean i'm i'm living in cuckooland but just in case they do that will wipe out conservatives for decades will it not well this is the thing that, that we've be, we've been through so much over the years that the sort of the country has an identity crisis at the minute since brexit we've like we thought we were going to we thought we were going to anchor ourselves to to the united states the United States says no. We, we we liked it when you were in Europe. That was the most the biggest thing. So we've had all this confusion. I think a, 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 we always say, oh, in, when times are hard, we need a, uni, a unified government. We need the unity government. I don't think that will happen. However, we, it could. We need a unity government, but do we not have? We need to have America as friends, a close friends, because at the moment they're very distant cousins. 
and that's our choice because of what we're doing with Northern Ireland and what's happening with 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 the with the the, the aftermath of Brexit, is it not? Yeah. Yes, exactly. I, th- I think, but I think a lot of people think like that because the, as you saw with Suella Braverman mm-hmm. when she said about about um, colonialism, yep. basically supporting it. Everybody around the world was completely shocked. It, it, it caused a ripple, a ripple effect. So this whole ideology of Britain on it, Britain, the little Britain on its own, forging ahead like we were during the British Empire is just not going to wash with the rest of the world. So I think that's more to do with this identity crisis that we've had after Brexit. Um, and I think we've got to get that right. We've got to think, well, where do we where do we fit into the rest of the world? And unfortunately, everybody's turning their noses up. And I think that's the thing we've got to address. Now, the difference between uh, Conservatives and Labour, it's been with Conservatives, it's always been about devolution. devolution. Um, and do you think the economic model that the Conservatives have been presenting for the past 12 years needs to change and do you think Labour will change it? I mean, I actually have a lot of time for Rachel Reeves. I think for a long time, I think she's a very good shadow chancellor, mm-hmm. um, and, and and I think she knows she she knows what she's talking about, and and I think she gives credibility to uh, to Keir Starmer um, and and people like um, um, what's her name? Oh, I keep forgetting her name. The the, the lady from Middlesbrough. Um, I, I, the name will come to me, but. Um, do you think the economic model will have to change and Labour will have to come in something radical, and I mean radical like, entertain, and I, and I will keep on coming back to it, entertain single market? Um, no, I, I think actually the, the, the problem is it's instability of the Conservative Party that is causing a ripple effect through the economy. I mean, if we look at, if we look at Liz Trust, we know there's a problem with the energy crisis. We know that the, with Ukraine and Russia... Uh, prices have gone through the roof, and it's basically she came in, saw it as a problem. I she wanted to cap the energy costs for people in the country, right? It it, it became political suicide because global eco- economies sort of said no, that's not how you do economics. So I think anything radical is bad. I think the British government's econo- economic sort of model is fine. It's the problem is it's the people who are running it. There's not enough stability in government for the rest of the economy and businesses and industry to have trust in it. And I think that is the overall problem. It's not the, mod, the economic model. It's the people who've, run it, who've been running that model. So if, if people think Keir Starmer's ready to come in and do things right and he brings stability rather than chaos, then I don't see anything wrong with the economic model. Lisa Nandy is what I was talking about. All um, right, okay. She, get the, you know, there's some very, very good uh, members of the shadow cabinet. Um, finally, uh, Chris, where do we go from here? Well, in, in reality, in reality, I mean, what what would be? I mean, you're a political analyst, and I'm sure you you kind of get used to the the you know the, the spin from from yeah. from the from, from the political parties, but. I think it's time that uh, you know the public are crying out for some honest politics. Yes, are we are exactly. we going to get it? Um, I would hope so, but I think what the problem is, as I said, it's the identity crisis. We've got we've got Scotland, Northern Ireland, who liked us being in Europe because they didn't have to listen to uh, um, Westminster so much. So we've got all these problems in different parts of the UK, and until everybody gets on the same page, it's going to be chaos going forward. 
Well, I hope uh, and pray that we don't get to that point where there's going to be chaos. Chris Blackburn, uh, political analyst, thank you so much for taking time out, as always, and coming on to The Drive Time Show. Wish you a fantastic day ahead and a weekend. May peace be with you. Uh, Yes, thank you. It's been a pleasure. All right. Now, where do we go from here? Well, it is, you know, the reality is... Monday, we we will know who our next prime minister will be. Um, and that prime minister, if they have a plan, if conservatives can get together and find a unity candidate, which at the moment is looking unlikely mm. because it's just there's, there's, there's so many splits, so many different wings of, of, the, of, of the conservative party at the moment. And, and there's so many egos. There's too many egos. Um, and uh, it's going to be looking difficult. However... However, as I say, you know, a day is very long in politics. Things can change. Um, and as Brother Daniel agreed earlier that Rishi Sunak would give uh, a Keir Starmer run for his money if he was to change things around over the next two years. I agree. I think he's the best choice at the moment. He's the best bet for Conservative Party, whether or not they actually elect him, whether or not mm-hmm. uh, they are able to find that consensus within the party so that it, it doesn't even go to the uh, to the members. Um, remains to be seen, and and if it does go to the members, then I think it it uh, it really opens up, and uh, then it's anybody's game. Would you vote for Rishi Sunak, brother Daniel? Uh, I'm not a conservative member. No, but, really? but it, uh, oh, yeah, okay, I did. Okay. no, I, I'm not a conservative <laughs> Isn't member. There a quick way to do that: <laughs> <laughs> fast track application. <laughs> but but if if you had the option, who would you? At, at this point, by the way, Penny Morden has just confirmed she's running to replace. Um, of course she trust. She doesn't need to confirm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Brother Kim already knew. Yeah, I already <laughs> knew, exactly. <laughs> Boris Johnson told me this morning. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's uh, it, it will be... Um, I think the country needs stability at the moment. Yes. So absolutely. I think uh, within the Conservative Party, short of a general election, I think that Rishi is the best option, whether or not we... That's my opinion. I, I agree. Um, Brother Rosa. Um... You see, I... Uh, do you know who Rishi Zunak is? No, no, I, I do. <laughs> I do, I do. <laughs> Please, by the came back. <laughs> That's all we've been doing during the lockdown, is like watching his face. <laughs> no, I think um, there, there was a few things in, in the last uh, couple of minutes that we, when we spoke to our guests, that, that probably need, need to be addressed uh, if the country is ready for the first... Um, Asian prime minister if uh, he did a good job during the lockdown but I think if you are if you go back just a couple of months in that race uh, between this trust and Rishi Sunak the things that he said at that point seemed very very far seemed very alien seemed very radical if you can say so but if you look at it, it's exactly what happened afterwards. So I, I've spoken to many people, not political analysts or, or experts, but the general public feel that based on his background, based on where he comes from and his his knowledge about at least the financial sector mm-hmm. is something that Liz Truss was lacking big time. I, I just want to make one point uh, regarding the discussion we have we were having before. Mm. Uh, and that was around the point you raised, Brother Kiyum, about um, uh, about people being totally um, totally cut off from yes. from day to day decision making because we are in a parliamentary democracy. The point that I'm trying to make is that 
whether or not it's a parliamentary democracy, we look across uh, the Atlantic. It's a, a presidential system has has many problems of its own. You know, we we were talking on this show a few weeks ago that that you know there is already talk a survey of a civil war, uh, or or, or um, something along those lines. So, um, so I think that brings me back to what Islam hmm. really suggests, and 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 Islam's really all embracing. Um, a politically agnostic um, advocacy of whatever is best for the people. So I think this it's obsession, good, good governance, exactly, good governance, absolutely. Whoever provides it. So this obsession hmm. in the West of uh, of parliamentary democracy, or or you know, or, or this or that, and then this this total antagonism of any other system, whether it's you know a communist system, hmm. uh, or or if somebody else comes up with a hybrid system, this this obsession is. Is is probably what is at the at the heart of the problems that we see ourselves in. I agree with you, and and based on what you're saying, if the Conservative Party members truly do believe in the national interest, they will call for a general election because they know that they have not been governing uh, for the for the people of the people by the people and for the benefit of the country. Right. Um, and yes, I agree wholeheartedly with you. But Rishi Sunak is going to be, I think, um, the next leader. I think if he if he's if he comes on with that cap knowing that in two years we're going to be annihilated, mm. then he should go in and say, "Look, okay, you know, we're going to join the single market. Um, mm. We're going to be looking after the poor of the country. We are going to raise taxes, but the poor are going to have to pay more. Uh, mm. Sorry, the rich are going to have to pay more, mm. um, and do things which maybe um, you know, if if you were to go back to old conservative policies." They were very balanced. They weren't very. They 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 did always look after the elderly, the disabled, mm, and mm. the poor. If he was to go back to old conservatism, I think he can still pull it out of the bag. Rishi like if you're listening, give me a call. I'll come and advise you. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope and pray. Let's Dollar end. Yes. Let's end this part of the show yep. with a prayer that whoever comes is is really in the best interest of the people of this country. Without because, a doubt, because that is what this country needs at the moment. Amen. It, Amen. It, 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 Absolutely, I would echo echo these words as well. That you have this fear—it's a genuine fear of people. How will I survive? Yes. And I think, apart from the politics, yes, you do need a leadership and 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 whatnot. You need to have a prime minister. But I think to address that fear of the people on their level, to to make sure that you assure them that we will get through this together. I mean, we've done it during 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 the pandemic where you somewhat you somehow could relate to the political elite but i think that's something that you need to you need to address at the moment to calm the country down not just address one political issue or the leadership or whatnot we're going to come back after the news at five and then we're going to speak about right-wing popularism what that entails just stay tuned you're listening to the draft time show today with myself Reza daniel and kiyum you are listening to the recording of a live show please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome back to The Draft Time Show with Jazakallah. Thank you very much for staying with us. We're going to move on to the second topic for today. But, of course, if you want to have your say, if you want to give us a call in regards to the first topic about the UK politics and this, the current situation, then you're more than welcome to do so. 
Recent election results across Europe have shown an increasing support for far-right politics. In some places, extreme right-wing political parties have gained votes from the public. If you look at the Sweden Democrats, they became the country's second largest party following elections last month. And then Italy's newest prime minister, Giorgia Maloney, led her conservative populist party to victory a few weeks ago. And it largely overshadowed the fact that she is Italy's first female PM. And let's go over to Germany. In the last few years, we've also come across the AFD uh, in, in Germany and politician Marine Le Pen of France and other radical right political parties such as UK. With the dark history of fascism in Europe last century, there are concerns over such political ideologies becoming mainstream, appealing to ordinary people. Us here at the Draft Time Show, we've spoken about this many a times. We've mentioned the examples of Poland. We've mentioned the example of some other Euro- European countries. Yes, exactly. Hungary. European countries as well, where it it's not something which is far, far away. It's not something, well, racism in America, for example. We talk about this all the time. No, this is homegrown. It is here in our neighborhood. I... It's it's a different type of fascism. It's different. This this right wing, yes, it, it's completely different. Um, it's adapted. Yeah. I'll I'll tell you why. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to to go to um, an exhibition, which was called Seeing Auschwitz. And if you can just go there, but there's also um, um, an exhibition in the Imperial War Museum about the Second World War. Hmm. Now, if you look at the history, how, for example, they came to power, the Nazis came to power, it was very obvious, right? They didn't mask it. They didn't hide it. It wasn't, um, you know, disguised in in fancy words. Today, it is. It is. Somewhat. It is. Somewhat. Look, I think Nazism was based on the ideology of... Um, you know, he wanted to get rid. He wanted to kill everyone. Yes. Yeah. Today's right wing populism is more about power. It's more about. It's not about. It's not about killing. It's. 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 I'm not going to go as far as and say no, it's no, ideology. It's and, I, and I'll give you an example. You, you mentioned Giorgio Maloney. Now Giorgio Maloney only came into power because the centrist and the left parties who were going who were who were who were going to be the winners or there would have been um there would have been the winners but mm. a few days before the election their coalition broke mm. georgia maloney she only got 26 she got 26% of the vote but she is having to do a coalition with berlusconi mm. who's 86 yeah and silvini with the um who was the previous prime minister who yeah. is right wing far yeah. right wing yeah. But they don't fit within the euro equation because, and and they they're willing they're willing to kind of take a bit of a, a bit of a lesser stance on mm, their ideology mm, mm. on their policies, which which seem right wing. Plus, I think one thing we have to realize is right wing populist political parties across Europe are not on the same page. They're, the unity that people were expecting isn't there. Poland is anti-Russia. Hungary is pro-Russia. Italy, this uh, Giorgio Maloney's um, um, uh, um, party, 
Uh, Berlusconi has just been, this is a few days ago, he was, um, um, you know, communicating with Putin, calling him to calling him his mm. true friend. Mm. Whereas Giorgio Maloney is pro-Europe and anti-Russia. So there's a, there's a fear her party will break. Mm. And, and Italy has been um, in... Uh, Italy has been in a turmoil for for years, for years, and and all other centrist parties, left parties, have come in, failed, and now it's it's the it's the turn of the right. Yeah, people again, people voted for them not because oh we are right wing, they were fed up because the left tried it, the centrist yeah. tried it, and now they're trying it. Italy's political arena is very different from someone like Germany mm. or someone like France. With there, um, it's it, it was everybody came, tried, made money, left. Mm. The only person who actually kind of was going to put Italy in a, in a good place was the guy who just resigned, which was Draghi. Mm. And he wasn't a politician. He was mm. a technocrat. Mm. He was head of the European Bank. Mm. He knew money. Mm. And he... Um, he he was he was on the right track, but again, this because the centrist and the left party coalition broke, he, and he was part and parcel of that coalition, which is why Italy's in trouble. Raza, you know Germany. AfD is on the decrease, not an increase. Yeah, yeah. So, so some other European countries, they're they're going up, whereas Germany, who's experienced it. And people have seen the effect and the benefit to Germany of all the immigrants that Angela Merkel mm, mm, mm. allowed in. Because she she made sure people saw that she also deported a lot of people. Yeah. But they don't have uh, they don't have the problem anymore of lack of manpower. Mm. They 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 know for the next 10 years they'll be okay. But again, let me ask you um, a, a question from a slightly different angle. Mm-hmm. Do you think the presence of right-wing parties and the influence of the right-wing politics mm-hmm. over the last decade or so has resulted in the left-wing acquiring some of those mandates and 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 becoming rightist. Um, examples I can give are, um, you know, the current policies that we see around hijab, for example, and other things in France. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's the mainstream party in France which is in power. Uh, Mary Le Pen isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, a Brexit here. Mm-hmm. Um, I can give a few examples uh, in America as well. So, do you think the you know the that uh, to your point that the right wing parties are probably becoming less popular because the the left is is the new right? No, because people look in reality. Left has always been more dangerous. Left is good for a for a younger generation. Why is it? If you look across the world, when you're young, when you're a student, or when you're um, when you are at the prime of your life in respect of of your youth, everybody goes for social justice. Everybody's fighting for certain causes, hmm. and most of them tend to go left. But second, the, suddenly when you become a breadwinner, when you become a parent, when you become a family man and you have to pay rent or mortgages, your perspective changes a little bit. Or when you have aspirations, mm. suddenly left starts to become very shady. It becomes and that's you go through that gray period and before you become conservative. 
of it before or before you become centrist. Hmm. The the problem at the moment is, I would say a decade ago, centrism was there, even yeah. conservatism. You know, if we look at UK, mm. uh, when Lib, uh, Liberum, um, a liberal and uh, the conservatives kind of had a coalition. Mm. No, nobody would have thought UK coalition. Oh, my God. Germany's mm. used mm. to it. They've, mm. they've successfully run yeah. on coalitions for yeah. years. Yeah. And the most successful part of this country was a liberal and conservative coalition. But they were centrist. But that has changed now. So, of so course my, it's changed. So my question is, that, they, know, they, they, is the politics in general mm-hmm. moving towards the right? I think it is moving towards the right, not because people believe in the, the ideology of far-right extremism. Mm. It's populism. Yeah. Right-wing, right, being right-wing is... It's, it's a lot of it is about populism. It yes. is, it's populism would be the correct definition of it. Mm. Because it's, being popular will give you votes. Mm. And it's about winning the vote. It is about winning the vote. Yeah. That that is that is key at the moment. I know. Look, brother, Reza isn't uh, racism is, is, isn't look, quite happy with this. I know. I'm not yeah. saying racism no, isn't no, no, there. I'm, I'm not talking about that. What I'm the way I'm looking at it. And correct me if I'm wrong here. It's it's a good question, and and it it would make sense. The way I look at it, it is that people are we're moving into a certain direction, right? Mm-hmm. So we have. Um, this 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 sense that anything goes, everything is okay. You need to live with everyone, and respect and honor everything that happens. Mm-hmm. Now you do have certain people that value values. Mm-hmm. They need to have they they respect values. They have values, and they are seeing those values eliminated from 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 life, okay. from society. Mm-hmm. And then you have these right-wing parties or populist parties, whatever you want to call them. They 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 bank on those values. Mm-hmm. So if you had, for example, you know, the example of, of Italy, mm-hmm. they were, you know, all about family values. They were all about don't dictate to us what is right for us and what is wrong for us. Mm-hmm. Kenya, for example, their prime minister also speaking about certain things that it's our values, it's our culture, it's our traditions. We respect yours. You need to respect ours. So you you're not budging when it comes to certain issues within society. Now you have other parties who are who are seeing that people are inclined towards those values. Not everything. We're not talking about generally speaking. People are saying yes, everything is right. Racism is right. Everything that that party stand, stands for. No, certain aspects within those parties that we want family values. We want to go back to, you know having respect and all of these things that were valued uh, uh, valued and cherished a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and that fear that everything is 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 just so fluid nowadays you 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 cannot say anything against someone that's 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 leftism isn't it that, get, you know so mm. keep that in mind mm-hmm. we're not people are not agreeing with that mm-hmm. so you have what's the alternative then that you need to stick your ground, you need to go back to the basics, you need to have your values, which is represented by these parties. Now, the leftist or the left parties, they they see mm-hmm. that attraction that people have for those. And when it comes to, for example, France, you see the 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 the, the public is demanding for it. The there is an interest to have, let's say, a hijab ban. Mm-hmm. Why don't we apply that from our side mm-hmm. to gain more voters, to gain more popularity? 
to be more accepted by 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 the remaining or you know the, the society so it's not about the the whole agenda that these parties are representing afd in germany as well people were not you i i had an issue with that being called or calling people nazis hmm. right they were not I don't would it's a very strong term. It's a very very strong term. Yes. I, I don't think at, people realize how strong it is. It's 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 heavy. Yeah. I'm telling you it's heavy. Yeah. But those people were not Nazis. They were just they wanted to have certain values back in society. But this is what I was I'm trying not, to say earlier. I'm not earlier. saying AFD was right. No, no, that's but, not what I'm saying. But this is why I said Nazism was an ideology based on hatred. I, pure hatred. Whereas right-wing politics is politics it's not based on hatred yeah. it's about i want a certain way of life exactly it isn't about hatred for a people it isn't about killing it isn't about eliminating a race it isn't about genocide yeah i have friends in fact forget about having friends if i was to think about it i think centrist and i think centrist right hmm. where some people based what you just said somebody hmm. will say well centrist right are you how close are you to the far right yeah and you think come on have you seen the color skin, the color of my skin for the right now? You know, but but again, but then I want to kind of maybe it's controversial. Let's bring Islam into this. Yeah. Center right policies are more. What's the word I can use? What's the what's the what's the word which won't kind of get me thrown out of this room? <laughs> <laughs> But center right is rational, is reasonable. Um, it has boundaries. Yeah. When we go left, we remove boundaries. Hmm. We, it's like we're will, we're not willing to say, "Oh, you've won." No, the taking part matters. Yeah. We we're afraid. We're afraid of. Uh, we're afraid of recognizing wealth. We're afraid of recognizing hard work. We're afraid of of labeling someone yeah. who has who, who needs to be labeled. And then you go to the right where you set up boundaries. That's right. You because boundaries boundaries need in life in society. Yeah. I, I, I you need boundaries and and. I, I give you my example is of of look I think this morning they they, they sprayed doesn't have any boundaries they, they sprayed that. Harrods this morning mm, because yeah. of the oil and they they kind of sprayed uh, through tomato sauce on uh, who who sunflowers Van Gogh's. yeah Van Gogh sunflowers yeah. for for a good cause mm. and everybody agrees with the cause but what they displayed was an anarchic behavior yeah. So the message got lost. The anarchy took precedence. Yeah. Now, to 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 uh, and and to me again, it's my interpretation. Mm-hmm. We've gone so people have gone so left here now that they're willing to go down the anarchy route to highlight their cause. And to me, that's a no-no. Let me bring um, Dr. George Newth into this discussion, who's just joined us. Uh, uh, Dr. George is a lecturer in politics and uh, and international relations at the University of Bath. He's a researcher studying populism and far right and is writing a book on the Lega Nord. Assalamu alaikum, peace be with you. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Dr. Newt, let me start by asking, let me straight uh, uh, take you straight to Italy. 
How concerned yes. do you think we should be about fascism, given that uh, the country's uh, first far, far-right leader has been elected since World War II? I mean, yeah, she's she's definitely the first um, kind of far-right politician with a neo-fascist past to hold the office of prime minister. But I don't think this is the first far-right government that the country's seen, really. I mean, it's been in the making since the early to mid-1990s. Silvio Berlusconi-led four Mm. Uh, coalitions between 1994 and 2011, which were euphemistically termed centre-right, but they all contained um, Georgia mm. Maloney's predecessor party, the National Alliance, which itself had emerged from a neo-fascist tradition. And then it also contained the Lega Nord, which is a predecessor to um, Matteo mm. Salvini's Lega. So the normalisation of these far-right ideas has been underway in Italy for some time now, and owes a lot to the mainstreaming of um, far-right politics as conservative or, or centre-right. In terms of a return of fascism, um, well, we may not see kind of jackbooted fascists on the streets. We mm. might not see um, kind of banning of political opposition as happened during the 1920s and 1930s. I, I still think we should be concerned because much of the ideology and discourse that we've seen recently in the election campaign in Italy has roots in Italy's fascist past. And I'm talking here about kind of dog whistle tropes such as God, fatherland and family, which was banded about by Maloney. Um, and was a phrase often used by Mussolini, and it, it points towards a very specific God, a Catholic God, an exclusionary vision of Italy as a fatherland which needs to be protected. And, of course, in terms of family, it, it speaks to a kind of heteronormative image of the family which discriminates against LGBTQ communities as well. Um, but I would say I'd be kind of hesitant here to say that Italy is alone. I mean, Italy is not alone here. We're, we're witnessing a mainstream of far-right ideology discourse in the UK and mm-hmm. many other countries in Europe and, and the USA as well. Um, Dr. Newth, isn't, when, it, when we talk of far-right extremism in any form, but religion has always been very prominent in, in far-right ideology. I mean, one looks at Ku Klux Klan, they all quote the Bible. Yeah. Um, you know, in fact, all... Forget about the Christianity perspective, irrespective of which faith Islam has got, um, you know, the, the, the Al-Qaeda who quote and, and mm-hmm. the Taliban who quote, uh, you know, who misquote, um, uh, you know, Holy, the Holy Quran. And we have in Hinduism, we have the, uh, you know, we have the Hindutva party who, who, you know, who are the far extremist. We have, you know, all religions across the world when it comes to extremism, mm-hmm. they've always used religion as a tool to attract mm-hmm. membership. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with you there. And I, I think it's kind of a, a weaponization of, of religion to to exclude yep. more than and to, as, as much as to include as well in terms of kind of creating in-groups and out-groups. But, and that's gone, sorry, gone. Sorry, I would just wanted to ask, you, you mentioned Liga Nord. I mean, Silvini is, has, mm. Silvini is actually more far right than, than Maloney. Maloney seems a little bit more willing to, what well, she needs to work with Europe because Italy needs the 170 billion um, of, yeah. of the fund, so she's willing to kind of compromise. But do you think Maloney is, is likely to 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 survive, considering the the friendship between Berlusconi and Putin that's come to light in recent days? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that she's more uh, that that Salvini is more far right than Maloney. I think they're probably kind of operating on a similar kind of wavelength in terms of their ideology. I just think Maloney's probably more pragmatic yeah. and understands that she needs to, you know, tone down the rhetoric when it comes to the European Union in terms of whether the, the coalition can survive. Um, that's a really good question, and I think one of the key fault lines is really the relationship with Russia and yes. and Ukraine, and as has become clear over the past few days really you know like Berlusconi is is not going to hold back when it comes to um when it comes to Putin and his relationship there so it'll be an interesting one I I, I think yeah the the what that will be one of the key fault lines really. just, just to for, for my sake 
would mm. Giorgio Meloni would 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 she have won had the the, the Demo- central democrats and left kept the coalition that's a really a really good point um i mean the the, the really interesting point there is that the turnout for people voting against the center right was actually higher yes. so the, the, the 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 parties that weren't in the center right block combined received around 49% of the vote and mm. those in the center right block received about 43 44%. So if there had managed to be some sort of coalition um then yeah possibly she might not have won and I think that's that's a big problem really for the left is there are huge divisions. Of course then there are issues of you know who would have led that block what policies would they have been able to agree on um but there are a couple of things here. I mean first of all is is the division on the left Hmm. Um, and the fact that they don't have any clear vision to yes. combat what the far right is offering. But also, you know, this was one of the lowest turnouts in Italian political history, just around 63.9%. Hmm. And if you compare that to um, previous elections, I think 2018 was 72%. And then if we go back to 2008, it was over 80%. So Italy is a country which has historically very high levels of turnout. And so this time around, none of the parties really managed to mobilize voters. So I think we see quite a high level of frustration and disillusionment. And so, yeah, I mean, any any kind of spinning of this result as the will of the people should really be taken as a, with, with a pinch of salt, I would say. Now, I'll come back to the will of the people, but you it yeah. says here you're studying populism and far-right research. Would you yeah. say, I mean, and the question of, of populism across Europe, the, the populist and the far-right parties across Europe are not united, are they? Because they all have different aims. Yeah, of course. I mean, and, and I think, you know, a key a key issue here is not necessarily populism, but, but nationalism and exactly. national interests. And, and so, of course, they have very different aims because they're all looking out for, um, or they claim to be looking out for national interests and and, and their, their, their nations, their nation states within Europe. So, yeah, they're going to come to blows. So this idea of a kind of we often use the term of like a European far right. And, you know, to a certain extent that exists in terms of certain parliamentary groups within the European Parliament. But, um, yeah, they're all going to be fighting for their, their, their kind of own so-called kind of sovereignty, uh, sovereign interests. And that's, that's going to make it difficult to form any kind of European bloc, I guess. I, I agree. I mean, I, I think Russia has kind of made it even uh, more worse because, like, Viktor Orban mm. is is pro-Putin. Poland is anti. Um, in yeah. Maloney's government, Maloney is pro... Well, she's yeah. more Poland-ish, whereas Silvini and, and Berlusconi are, are pure... Um, you know, they're friends of Putin. So yeah. It, yeah. it's like, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of... Um, there's no unity, there's no clear message. So my question is, are we kind of overstating the populism and the rise of the extreme right or is it geographical and locational and because of because of movement of people around the world it, 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 its ugly head is ri- is raising but like in germany it will eventually go down i think i mean I, again i think we we probably need to take it on a case by case basis but i think one thing that we we need to look at really in in this country but also in italy as well is is how these ideas become normalized and how um how they can be counted essentially you know that's that's one of the big problems is that 
you know, if we think about kind of the Overton window and, you know, how certain ideas become acceptable over time or certain ideas become perceived common sense over time, um, then that has meant that over the years, certain ideas which would have seemed extreme in the past now seem mainstream. And that's, that's due to kind of two, well, that's kind of due to a, a dual process of far-right parties polishing their image and their discourse whilst not really changing their ideology. And at the same time, the mainstream kind of engaging and making compromises with many of these ideas and adopting many of these ideas as well. So I think that's, that's really the question that we need to be ask, asking really is not whether we're going to see kind of the, the far right raise its, its head in the same way as it did in the 1920s and 1930s because it, it has changed. It's learned to adapt hmm. and it's learned to kind of cohabit with the mainstream. And the mainstream has been kind of ma- mainstream actors such as mainstream parties and the mainstream media or the establishment media, I should say, have been kind of more than willing to to share some of these ideas and, and push some of these ideas as well as as kind of normalised ideas. So, yeah, I, I think those, that's kind of the main, main question that we need to focus on. Um, looking at economics, um, mm. Draghi was the, was the kind of the rock that could have taken yeah. um, Italy out of problem. Um, is there any chance that, I mean, because Maloney will need someone who can who can who can kind of communicate with EU um do you mm. think do you think draghi because it's not maloney i think will would draghi kind of uh, be willing to work with maloney i think we'll see i think we'll probably see quite a lot of continuity in many ways i mean like with with draghi i mean his policies were were fairly kind of austerity driven in many ways yes. and kind of benefited many those kind of at the uh, not at the sharp end of kind of tax cuts, I guess. Like they, they, many many kind of people on the higher end, tax cuts benefited and benefited under Draghi. So he was never going to pull the poorest out of poverty. And no. I think what we'll see with Maloney is is many ways kind of continuity with that, but perhaps kind of more extreme measures such as abolishing um, the universal basic income or the citizen wage, as it's known, which is really kind of quite a low poverty subsidy that provides that families with an average of around 567 euros a month but that's really resented by business owners mm, uh, who yeah. argue that it discourages people from working so she she's planning to get rid of that and one of the key kind of center-right coalition policies is a flat tax of 23 percent at every income level so whether you know whether you're earning um, 50,000 a year, 20,000 a year. So whether or not this final version is, is likely to be more limited, there, you know, many of these policies will actually further exacerbate inequalities, I think, in what is already becoming one of the most unequal countries in the EU. So, you know, I think this is why many kind of conservative elites turn a blind eye to Maloney's uh, kind of more reactionary policies, because she's in many ways kind of a, a guarantee for the status quo, I would say. But I mean, one of the big dangers for Italy now is that if we look at what's happened in the UK since the, the mini-budget, um, many of Maloney's policies are actually quite similar yeah. to that, really. She's she's kind of hoping to kind of shock the Italian uh, economy into life, I guess, by um, cutting taxes and um, and other similar uh, policies, as was uh, suggested by Kwarteng and, and Trust, Trust and Kwarteng. Well, well so, the, the difference being that 200, million, uh, 200 billion coming from EU, which UK yeah, just yeah, didn't have. Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, exactly. I mean, that's, I think that's her hope, is that she can somehow renegotiate that 
and and offset some of the the the, the shock the to the market, the market that her policies will will cause. One final question, Doctor Newth. Hmm. Well, Italy's had left; it's had centre governments, and now it's experiencing right wing governments. Yeah, isn't Italy's main problem that the infrastructure or the equivalent of the civil service of Italy is left? Um, I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, there's been various different discourses about, uh, like around the, the the civil service. Really, I mean, in the past, it was said that they were dominated by southerners. Um, now, there's a discourse saying that, you know, perhaps they're too left wing. I mean, we we need to remember that Italy is a republic founded on anti-fascist principles. I mean, on the values of the anti-fascist resistance. So the constitution itself mm-hmm. is is anti-fascist. Um, so this is kind of quite a a big moment for Italy, a dangerous moment, I would say, in terms of its foundations, really, because we have, you know, fascists in, in, in institutions now um, serving an anti-fascist constitution. As for the civil service itself, I mean, as in any country, I don't think you can ever have a completely apolitical civil service. People are always going to have ideological views. Um, and whether or not, you know, that stymies um, Maloney's programme, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't see that as a huge issue. I think it's more to do with the, you know, the the swing to the right that we've seen is more to do with the combination of abstention and the normalisation of far right ideas in public discourse. The, the only reason I, I mention that is because if one was to look at Italy as a standalone country in Europe, mm. they have a they have a fantastic car industry. They have a fantastic tourism right. industry. Yeah. They yeah, have yeah. a fantastic. Um, clothing industry, fashion industry, you name it, they mm. have the industry. In fact, if the country was run properly, it would outsmart Germany by a mile. Yet, yeah. yet, um, it it's on its it's always on its knees, and and it, it, hence the thought comes to mind that so many different parties have come and gone unsuccessfully, but yet the only it seems to be the infrastructure of how. Um, um, you know, the, the the I mean, maybe I shouldn't call it left, but it seems that way that the, the system um, um, needs to change in the way um, uh, the governments are run. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I, I think we ha- we need to remember that also. You know, the past decade has been dominated by austerity and and the COVID nineteen crisis as well. So, I mean, that's a, this has really led to a huge drop in in GDP, um, not only in Italy but also across the West as mm-hmm. well. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, that, like, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly convinced that Maloney's policies are not what the country needs, really. I mean, it's, it, it, it does have some some incredible industries, but also many of these industries have been in decline since the early 90s. And I think one of the biggest problems has been a kind of failure to transition in many ways to to new industries and kind of digital industries as well. So there's there's kind of yeah there's there's an issue of of kind of transition in terms of um, in terms of the economy and in terms of what jobs should be created and how jobs can be created as well. Wonderful. Dr. Neath, if I can take you back to uh, one point that you made earlier, um, mm. actually a few times about normalization of these far-right views generally yes. yeah. Uh, yeah. in many societies. How yeah. worried do you think we should be about that trend from... Um, across civilizational uh, point of view, 
a cross-civilizational uh, point of view. Um, yeah, from, from the point, I mean, uh, look at France, for example. You know, uh, they've hmm. banned hijab. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, in terms of, so, so you know, the, the, the whole talk yeah. about building bridges and living together, wh- where do we go from here? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very difficult question. It's a very worrying question, really. I think I think it is. I think we should be concerned about it. And I think, for example, I mean, if we look at the UK and um, some of the discourse that is used by um, our former Prime Minister Boris Johnson, perhaps soon to be again Prime Minister Boris Johnson, <laughs> regarding... regarding kind God of, forbid. Regarding, <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, regarding the burqa and, you know, his letterbox comments and, and yeah. the phrases that should not be part of political discourse, mainstream exactly. political discourse. And yet and yet they are because, you know, they, they then become mm. normalized in the in the media. So yeah. I think it it, it it kind of paints quite a uh doom laden picture in in many ways. But again, this is the job of the left, I think, really, to combat these ideas. And it's a job of people with you know, whether or not you consider yourself on the left, those those who kind of hold more egalitarian views towards society and towards civilization and, and living together and building bridges as you said, I mean, that's that's where it comes down to kind of calling out that kind of behavior for what it is, which is um, far right behavior and, and racist behavior. So, yeah, um, I think there is, you know, there, where do we go from here? I think, I mean, that, that's a huge question. <laughs> um, but there, 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 are, there are things that, you know, mainstream actors can do and those in responsibilities uh, with responsibility of power can do in the media and in politics to call out um, far right behavior for what it is. Dr. Jordan Ruth, uh, thank you very much for, for joining us today. Lecturer in All Politics right, and you. International Relations at the University of Bath with us on the line. Thank you very much for your time, sir. Have a great weekend. Thank ahead. you. Peace be on you, sir. Okay. 0208687 Increasingly, the far right poses a profound and ominous threat to the peace and well-being of Europe and other parts of the world. Far right members in the name of nationalism advocate an end to modern-day multi- multicultural and pluralistic societies and instead seek to impose their own racist and prejudiced ideologies on society. Intolerant bigots are viciously targeting immigrants, many of whom have lived peacefully in their adopted countries and contributed to its success as model citizens. These are the words of His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmed, the current caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And then he says about integration, for me, true integration is to love the country which you live in and to be completely loyal to it. Thus, all immigrants should be loyal to their adopted nation. They should truly love it. They should honor it. They should be law-abiding and work for its prosperity and progress. This is integration. Isn't that where the problem is? Sometimes. Of of the miscommun... The, 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 the if you're banking on this issue, then yes. But this is what the... Uh, this is what the racist mindset works on. Yeah. Tells you... The immigrants has taken your job away. The immigrant has taken mm. your job away. Well, forgetting that, hold on, before the immigrant came, you still didn't have a job. Yeah. <laughs> but, mm. but but the job that's been taken away has been taken away by the immigrant. And, yeah. and the people believe a certain political system. It's not that their ideology is, oh, we're racist. Yeah, yeah. They believe that narrative because they have been told you have lost out yeah. because of this person. Our next guest for today uh, is joining us from uh, from Vienna. Uh, Do- uh, professor Dorit Geva is with us on the line. Uh, professor Geva is a professor in the Department of Sociology and Social Anthropology uh, in Vienna. Good afternoon, peace upon you, and welcome to the Draft Time Show. Thank you. Good afternoon. 
Um, to give a, we're seeing um, a rise uh, in the success of far right parties. We mentioned um, Italy, we mentioned France, Germany. Well, although that is on the d- decline, uh, as we see, do you think that the radical right will continue to advance in Europe? And one country that I was actually a, a bit surprised about was was the Swedes. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, I do think that this advancement will continue, and indeed Sweden is exactly a sign of the times. The normalization of the far right was a strategy that the far right started taking over a decade ago. Uh, I think what's really notable is the emergence of a new generation of leaders. So it's not a coincidence that we're also seeing a change in the electoral fate of the far-right parties of continental Europe because these were new leaders um, in Italy and France. We see it also in Sweden. Uh, the Netherlands really started the trend where uh, the strategy was to become a more mainstream a political force which didn't look like a fascist, militaristic, extremist uh, residue of World War II fascism. Hmm. Uh, and, and also, I think, though, that one of the more interesting and maybe surprising developments is the emergence of what I see as far-right regimes in East Europe, uh, and that those are... The surprise to me is not so much that they emerged... Uh, but that actually, uh, in the post-Cold War order of Europe, it's actually political forces from the East that are giving now inspiration to the West. So the Eastern European far-right parties are proving to be very influential in, in setting the tone and agenda and showing the winning strategy to, to Western Europe. I, I see, I've seen this change over the past 10 years. Uh, so, yes, I mean, Italy, um, of course, France, uh, Austria also had a, a far-right party in power and coalition. It's not necessarily that far-right parties are always in power, but they're also increasingly in a position to make governments, to be the king or queen makers, and increasingly have presidents, uh, or a presence, excuse me, in parliamentary bar- bodies. So, the the trend continues unabated. Since um, you study gender, uh, would you say that leaders like Meloni and Le Pen, uh, um, what they bring to the far right movement, it makes it even more dangerous? Yes, I I do think that's the case. I think that Meloni and Marine Le Pen are figures who have really successfully softened the image of the European far right. And they knew that that would be the case. They're very self-aware of their position as, as women leaders and the ways in which they can very much use that to their political advantage, uh, which is very interesting because in other political in other political parties, it's it's often a disadvantage to be a female leader. But on the contrary, in the far yeah. right, it's it emerged as an advantage to be a female leader. Yeah. Uh, and they're very successful in in um, mobilizing this to to give mm-hmm. an image of protection and care. Mm-hmm. 
of caring for their children, caring for the children of the nation, caring for their citizens, for protecting them um, as, as strong maternal figures. Uh, and, and as women also, they can play with this symbolism very, very effectively through their, uh, also through their social media presence. Meloni in particular is very clever at doing this and she very actively uses language like, um, like her, her, um, devotion to the Italian people, um, as, as almost like a a marriage contract Mm. and, and actually interestingly, almost like, uh, um, like Queen Elizabeth is not, she's not actually married. Uh, I mean, she, she's in a, a union, a, a union with a partner with whom she has a child, but she, she plays with this image of, of being, being married uh, with, with enormous fidelity to the Italian people. So um, the effect is very powerful because it plays on very deep emotions, mm. uh, which are, very effective in the age of social media. So if we, so yes, it, so it, they they change the image. Yeah. So so if we if we go by that, and um, um, so if I were to agree with you there, and then I don't know whether you li- were listening to the previous interview that we were doing with uh, Dr. Jordan Youth, uh, and he talked about um, this normalization of the far right discourse in mainstream politics. So if you you know if you talk about the convergence of these two um two discourses um how worried should we be uh worried <laughs> um i i mean i i agree with the view that the the mainstream also that mainstream parties have have adopted huh. uh, par- parts of the far right platform uh so even when we talk about the far right who are we talking about now uh, it includes uh, political parties and political figures whom maybe 20 years ago we wouldn't have called them that, but now they've taken that on. Uh, so yes, I, I think I think I think there's a lot to worry about. I think uh, in the UK specifically, but I would say you know, in terms of Europe, uh, mm. which, which is really what I'm what I prefer to talk about. So Europe um, needs to be worried, and I mean by Europe, I mean the European Union because uh, the um, the increasing um, influence of the far right, and and I think there also the influence and the leadership of Viktor Orban in Hungary, um, and also in Poland, the Law and, and Justice Party, which I do consider, I consider both of these to be far right regimes. Um, a- apropos. Um, the, the normalization of the far right, because I think very few are willing to call them far right regimes. But mm-hmm. when we consider the fact that they're very openly xenophobic, racist, Islamophobic, anti-immigrant, uh, homophobic, um, mm-hmm. uh, and anti-feminist and uh, against gender equality, I, to me, I mean, these are these would be if you took the exact that exactly that definition, those would be the markers of the far right in Western Europe. Yeah. So um, yes, I mean there's there's we we need to be worried because their their vision of um, not only domestic politics but of European politics is a different vision, and they have their ambitions set on transforming the very nature and mission of the European Union, and this includes also relations to to China and Russia and and a kind of realliance of. Um, political affiliations even in, in the global in the international order so this this is even an international this is a global 
uh, of global consequence. It's not just of domestic or even just European consequence. Uh, Professor, if I may, I, I, I was listening and you said Eastern Europe has, is, is having a lot of kind of influence on the way the Western governments um, are kind of, uh, or, or the, the, the head of far-right extremism is popping up in, in the West. But is, is, I mean, to look at it, I kind of want to turn the coin on its head. And in, in Eastern Europe, before they became independent nations, they were all under, you know, um, this ideology that the East was already living under. Um, multiculturalism and um, and uh, mixing with other races and and um, and and you know the way Britain and uh, and and America and even now Germany is is becoming a lot more multicultural and multi-racist. Um, isn't East kind of um, scared of multiculturalism, which is kind of bringing the head of right-wing extremism because they think they're losing their identity. So the only route they see is to belong to something which is right-wing. Because even, I mean, when I was talking to Dr. Newth, and he agreed that even all these far-right ideologies or or or, or par- political parties, they're not even on the same page. Their, their political aspirations are very different from each other. So in the West, if um, in the West, um, if right-wing extremism was to pop its head, it would be self-defeating, and 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 Germany is kind of becoming a good example of it, where AFD kind of came out of nowhere, and now AFD is kind of gone a bit down. Um, Viet Gilders in in Netherlands, I mean, the popularity is on its way down. So. The, the this the fear are we are we not kind of overedging it? Well, I mean the the fear is the fear is manufactured in East Europe. It is it is certainly manufactured in Hungary and it is certainly manufactured in uh, in Poland. Um, the fear of immigration, the fear of multiculturalism, um, the 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 just in, purely. Even in just in terms of the statistics of immigration, I mean Hungary is 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 a very low immigration society. This this is not a, a country which has mm. uh, an, an enormous number of people who are who are trying to to make a new life in Hungary. I mean that's for many reasons. It's a small country. The language is very difficult, uh, and so on. Um, the same is in Poland. So. Um, but in so both of these are, countries, religion yeah. plays a massive part in it, doesn't it? It, it does. But, you know, precisely. Um, but the, so the religious issue is, is a very interesting one, because where they where Hungary in particular, I, I would say Hungary in comparison to Poland, but where Hungary um, is different from Poland is that Hungary actually had a lot of religious diversity prior to the Orban government, and it still does in practice. But what the government did in 2011, so it was elected in 2010, so it was a very early legislative change that it made, is that whereas something like 300, it was something like 350 religious organizations were officially recognized by the Hungarian state prior to 2011, they passed a law in 2011 that reduced it to only 14. 
which included, by the way, an exclusion initially of any rec- formal recognition of any Islamic representation in Hungary. Uh, despite the fact that these were these were communities that, that, that existed there, it has since about doubled. So there are about thirty. Um, so where there is religious diversity, and there there is a certain element of religious diversity in Hungary, even that is politicized in in Hungary to be transformed into. Um, a narrative, a, a false narrative of of the the um, the, the re- religious uniformity of the Hungarian population. So, so again, it's like it's even on the domain of religion, it's it's a, it's a manufactured crisis. It's a manufactured panic. Hmm. Well, with that, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, we are unfortunately going to have to leave it here, uh, but Jazakallah, uh, thank you very much for for joining us today, Professor Dori Geva. Uh, from the Central European University in Vienna. She's a professor in the Department of Sociology and Social Anthropology. Thank you very much again for joining us today. Thank you. Uh, just one question to both of you. Yeah. The reason I kind of wanted to ask that question on the, the, the mindset of multiculturalism is that is it not religion which is the root cause here at the moment? It is people are looking to recreate a the the, the anti islamic notion within the east whereas um the the, the good old days as uh, you know they say um what's his name steve bannon used to say mm. he's looking to recreate the crusades right and he was he was kind of the advisor to victor orban to the polish government yeah. to all the racist parties you know nationalistic parties around the world i mean he's just been jailed for four months in uh, you know yeah. as advising to trump but is, isn't it more religious-based, or do you think it's more um, multiculturalism? I think it's more about multiculturalism. Religion, of course, you cannot deny that it has an impact on it. It, it, it is a it is a factor. Um, but uh, my my perception is that people, at least here in the West, they're, you're moving away from religion in, in general. Mm. So it's not just about religion. It's just God in general. You're moving away from that. But I think that's that's a different topic. Now we've gone over. Might as well just um, continue with this. Um, but no, we, we are going to uh, finish off today's program with a clip of His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmed. He held an address or he gave an address in uh, Berlin uh, a couple of years back, if I'm not mistaken. And in that, he spoke specifically about the immigration crises or how to deal with immigrants how what the responsibility and role of immigrants is as well and um that's something that we're going to play here at the end and we're going to finish off that show uh today's show with that Zakara, thank you very much for joining us today i want to thank today's producers and researchers Malia Shazad and Fezia Haq for their wonderful work thank you very much to all of our guests who joined us today and all we can do is hope and pray for the current situation here for the UK politics at the moment. Let's see what the weekend brings and hopefully on Monday we'll be in a little bit more clearance as far as the future of this country is concerned. Jazakallah for joining us today. Don't forget tomorrow morning we are going to be um, or Saturday Morning Life is going to be with you on the Sunday Weekend World team is going to join us at 10 a.m. And the Drive Time Show is going to be back on Monday, inshallah. From all of us, have a great evening. Have a great weekend ahead. Assalamu alaikum. In the world today, particularly 
in Western and developed nations, there is a great deal of heated debate about immigration and its effect on societies. <clears throat> Much of the debate centers around Muslims. Certain governments and members of the public fear a clash of civilization and believe that Muslims are a threat <coughs> to their society and cannot integrate into the Western world. Before responding to this contention, it is important to define what exactly is meant by civilization. In this regard, I present the definition given by the second head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, which I fully concur with. According to the definition, civilization is the material progress and development of a society. <clears throat> Factors that indicate the strength of a civilization include its economic progress, the level of technological innovation, the advancement of the means of travel and communication, and the intellectual progress of the society. Furthermore, the efforts of a nation to foster peace and stability, whether by virtue of the law enforcement and military proficiency, or by other means of, is also a measure of its civilization. <clears throat> Separate and distinct from civilization is a nation's culture. Culture is a manifestation of the views of a people, their attitudes towards social issues and their practices, and instead of being based on material progress, culture is rooted in morality and the religious values and traditions of a nation. <clears throat> Thus, civilization is the material, technological, and intellectual development of a society, whereas its culture is based on the religious, moral, and philosophical makeup of that society. The difference between civilization and culture can be easily understood if we look back to the early period of Christianity. At that time, Roman Empire was at the peak of its powers. And even now, it is considered as one of the greatest civilizations in the history of the world. Due to their material prosperity, urbanization, and the way its territories were governed, the Romans were considered to be tremendously civilized and educated. However, their sophistication did not equate to higher standards of morality. Rather, it was during the early period of Christianity that their people were infused with a progressive culture. Christianity gave people guiding principle based on religion and morality, whilst the Romans prescribed uh, 
worldly laws and limits. Hence, the progress and advancement of the Roman uh, Romans reflected their great civilization, whereas Christianity gave the people a laudable culture. Over time, Christianity became the predominant religion of the Roman Empire. And so the culture it established was adopted by a great civilization. Allied together, their supreme influence laid the foundation for the values and traditions that remain uh, that remain today in the west uh, in the in the west despite the fact that people in the west are now moving away, away from religion regarding the debate about immigration in recent decades the demographics of several western countries has altered Immigration, immigrants have arrived from many countries, but it has been the influence, uh, uh, the, the influx of uh, Muslims that has caused most concern and alarm. <clears throat> many indigenous people fear.